You're listening to the Functional Nerds Podcast with your hosts, Patrick Hester and Tracy Townsend. Welcome back, friends. Please make sure your pod seats and tray tables are in their upright and locked position. The airlock has been sealed and docking clamps have been released for an on-time departure to the Functional Nerdverse. So we are back once again, and uh, assuming that all things in the intended space-time continuum of the functional nerdverse have occurred as as intended, that ended up circular. This is right after right after Christmas, so um, I don't want to do the whole "how was your holiday" thing because we did that with Thanksgiving, and I think we jinxed it. So we're just going to be like, "Hi, <laughs> welcome to the functional nerdverse." post-Thanksgiving, post-Christmas, post-nothing-went-sideways verse. Um, So yeah, welcome back, Patrick. Thank you. And I would like to (laughs) announce that uh, this is is our last episode ever because we're going to start using avatars. Like we're going to get these digital avatars like Kiss has. Oh, we are? We're just going to make them. So I need like $5 million from you for yours. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, is okay. that is that doable, you think? Like could we just like is there a create payment these plan? digital avatars yeah. and, and just yeah. have them be us moving forward? What do you think? Is that is that like doable? What's the financing on that like? I, I don't think there is any. Uh, oh, we then, probably have to ask Gene I'm, Simmons and I don't think he's into financing. He's just into cash up front, shut the fuck up. Like that's, uh, that's yeah, his that that mantra. may be yeah, yeah. Um yeah, he's kinda kind of going full Sarah Pinsker. Um does does the future of rock over there yeah. so 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 and i'm sorry i know we have a guest but if, if, if kiss does this if like mm-hmm. they're going to do it they've already announced that they're doing it so they've got mm-hmm. avatars so they are not going out on tour anymore so isn't that just a really expensive music video yeah because because they're not there they're not playing instruments uh-huh it's a digital avatar up on the big screen uh-huh. of each one of the members. And then music, that's just like, it's either a music video or a movie. Yeah. I don't know. I haven't, I haven't really thought about it prior to this. We should, um, I think we need to phone a friend in, in here on this okay. one. So Jenna Rose Nethercott, um, I don't know that AI rock concerts for, um, uh, the, the rock artists of yesteryear are, are particularly your Ballywick, but certainly thinking about the macabre manifestations of things we think we want and, and how they actually turn out is. So I don't know. What's your read? So to me, that whole sort of thing reads a little bit less like a music video and a little bit more like they're sending their ghosts out on tour. You know what I mean? Like yep. you've got this these old, uh, well, not old, a, a few years. No, they old are old. They're no, old. They're old. Like, no, yeah. <laughs> I more, <laughs> I more meant uh, the the past. Uh, you've got these holograms of dead celebrities, you know, which yeah. are not old per se, but they're you know that was the buzz a few years back at like Coachella or whatever. And those to me are super eerie, and they're like these sci-fi versions of dead people. And I feel like this. AI avatar, whatever, of musicians going on tour is a real marketing opportunity that they are missing, that they could be aiming right at the goths, you know, (laughs) instead of being like, hey, this is our avatars on tour. Isn't that cool? Be like, hey, this is our digital ghosts hitting the road. Come to Mm -hmm. the seance. 
you know? Nice. That would work on me. It'd be a very different vibe than, um, I think, the way we've usually, from a science fictional, fantastical perspective, thought about it. Like, this is actually kind of in the wayback machine of, um, like, cyberpunk short stories. But Pat Cadigan wrote a story that I want to say from, like, I think it's, like, 1986 or something um, called Pretty Boy Crossover, where the entire concept of it – and I – it's not really a spoiler, is that there's this, you know, futuristic society of um, kind of influence and, and um, you know, sort of pop culture, um, social trading and jockeying for position where there's a, a sort of station of people called pretty boys. And like the whole deal is like people think that pretty, bo- I mean, they're basically influencers, right? Like, like <laughs> they emerge onto the scene. They are the Kardashians of their world. And all they have going for them is that they're, they're sort of, gorgeous and admirable. And there are corporate entities who approach the pretty boys to ask to digitize them. Like, Hmm. I want to create your consciousness into an AI form that will then dance at these parties and perform and banter with people and whatnot. Um, But you've just got to kind of give yourself to us. And sort of the thrust of the story is whether or not um, this pretty boy character who's the focus of this particular story is uh, willing to make the crossover. And mm. like the idea, I feel like of, that's kind of yeah. the plot of Dollhouse too, where yeah. by the end yeah. of season two, it's like everyone's consciousnesses are being scrambled amongst all the bodies of all the characters, and it's sort of that question of like, what makes a person themselves? You know, is it their memories? Is it their like, if you download all of someone's memories into some sort of database, and then you have that memory recreated in another body, is that that person? Or Mm -hmm. does personhood have something to do with a particular consciousness? And if so, what is a particular consciousness? I feel like what Gene Simmons has to figure out the key to doing is how does he make these uh, avatars conscious? And then Mm -hmm. all bets are off. Then we're (laughs) fucked. Yeah, yeah. Then then it's Skynet, but except really long tongues. Have, 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 all I've ever wanted Skynet with really long tongues. <laughs> the 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 AI creation of of dead celebrities and and that kind of stuff is is huge. Have you have either one of you been to or, or through a drive through at a fast food restaurant recently? Uh, yeah, yeah. So no. a lot of them, a lot of them now. You know, you always have the person with the headset that's taking your order, sure. right? Mm-hmm. A lot of them you pull up now. There's a there's a pre-recorded greeting. Mm, yeah. That'll I've say something like this. like, hey, welcome to Wendy's. Are you gonna do blah 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 today? And then you start talking, and then the person who's actually doing it is like, hold on, hold on, I'm not ready for you yet. Right. Yeah, well, there's, there's still like this buffering. Yeah. There's now a company who is is planning on doing uh AI generated celebrity voices to take your orders at no. drive-throughs. Oh no! And and the article like that Kevin I read, Bacon doing the article the I read longer. took it to the extreme. They're like, imagine pulling up to your favorite fast food restaurant and Gilbert Gottfried is taking your order. No, leave him alone. <laughs> Let him rest in peace. Oh no! I don't think he's dead. No, Gilbert Gottfried is. He's definitely I dead. Oh, well, he passed away a few months ago. Dead. Did he? Yeah. Oh, then I missed it if yeah. he did. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, they're they're talking about like it, it, alive or dead. Like they can just sample someone's voice and then they can provide you with like a a, a disc or something that says, you know, here you go. Here's your here's your celebrity AI taking orders. 
Well, that's and, part of and what like all those strikes that were about asset. too. Yeah, is yeah. like putting into contracts that you can't just have someone's likeness to use in whatever way you want. Oh my god! So if we really wanted to go like dark fairy tale route on this, then you end up getting like the sort of AI visage and voice uh, and like demi consciousness of I don't know um, Angela Lansbury or whatever, and it becomes like the fairy godmother in the mirror sort of thing for. You see where I'm going here? I um, do. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So I, I get. It seems like we have already kind of ended up throwing over some rocks under which a lot of story concepts lurk, which I guess is appropriate because you're joining us, Jenna Rose, because after having visited us before for Thistlefoot, now we've got 50, uh, 50, 50? No Townsend. Not That's under my pen name. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that, that's on the Kindle Direct yeah, that's my Finsta version yeah, of my, right, of my yeah. book. <laughs> 50 Beasts to Break Your Heart, um, which is all short stories. And uh, we, we came to the conclusion before we started recording that this is part of sort of the larger um, vibes of the Thistleverse, not the Footverse, because that would be horrifying and also Agreed. probably written under the Fisty pen name. Yes. Um, <laughs> so I, I, I just love 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 the story concepts here like i'm just i want the zombie rooster who's playing detective in a missing person's case so badly and and you have given him to me so thank you on a personal level you're welcome um, that was just for you oh that's good that's, I, I appreciate that i've made <laughs> did that i write it before impression. i met you yes but i'm just I very mean, talented that you way. just knew you just knew yeah i intuited <laughs> your needs ahead of time that's excellent yeah <laughs> um, but it, yeah thank you the, the eternal stupidest and worst question to ask any speculative fiction author is always, where do you get your ideas from? Correct. Um, it is. <laughs> and, and so I'm going to try really hard to ask that question without asking that question. Good so, uh, yeah, no, yeah, for, I appreciate it. Solidarity <laughs> here, right? Yeah. Um, but I am really interested in how, for you, how do you arrive upon an idea and decide to yourself, there's a story here? I don't mean in the sense of where the idea originally came from, but like the difference between an idea that's like, this is just my brain being weird and you're, you going like, no, no wait, I can do something with this. Yeah. So I think particularly for the stories in 50 beasts and well, and I guess the kind of general universe for lack of a better word of my work, it all genre wise is in conversation with itself in that I would kind of, peg it as magical realism, but the way I really think of it all is I'm taking reality and I just turn the volume knob up. So while some people may look at the stories in 50 Beasts and see them as like, oh, this is so weird. What a strange idea. To me, that's just, they're true. They're almost, many of them are memoir, um, just with the volume knob turned up a little bit. So, you know, in, um, in Homebody, you have this story about a woman in a relationship with someone uh, who isn't quite a great partner, um, and she's just kind of giving more and more and more of herself away to the point where she literally begins transforming into a house to become accommodating for this other person. Now, I think we've all been in relationships where we have felt that happen, right? This idea of kind of hollowing oneself out in order to try to accommodate a person who is sort of slippery uh, and not not quite present or willing to be there with you. So, you know, 
on a literal level, sure, there's something very surreal about the idea of a human body transforming into architecture. But in terms of the emotional truth of the story, the metaphor behind it, I'm just like, oh, yeah, that's what it's like. That's what being a person is. Uh, And I think that is the case for any of the stories in this collection is that they all use magical logic, but to say something that is very human and very literal. Mm. But in terms of what becomes a story, I'm honestly not really concerned with narrative uh, in short stories. Uh, Thistlefoot was really challenging for me because in a novel, you kind of need to have a plot, you know? Like people (laughs) are invested long enough that they have earned some kind of satisfying payoff. Mm-hmm. With short stories, I my favorite short stories are ones that are really more of a vibe. It mm-hmm. places you in this context. It makes you feel certain things that maybe you can't quite articulate, but you certainly feel. And then you may not receive all the answers that you thought you might. Um, it's almost like having a strange dream and then you wake up from it and that sensation lingers. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so I guess I don't necessarily think of these as, is there a story in here? At least in terms of, is there a narrative arc in here? It's yeah. more, what are the emotional questions I want to explore with this? And what is the literal kind of magical manifestation, the physical volume knob upturning of this emotional experience? Yeah, yeah. You mentioned the kind of um, like almost autobiographical qualities here. And like, I is it too personal for me to ask if there are particular stories that we could kind of like reach into a little bit and and get? Oh, some sure. Good? Yeah. OK. Oh, I, I have no shame. <laughs> Please. <laughs> oh, good. Welcome aboard. <laughs> Were there any particular stories you uh, wondered about? I, I just kind of I don't know. Pick take me on a journey here. I, I I am really interested in any of the stories that kind of like link to childhood. I have a middle school age daughter right now. So the mm-hmm. idea of middle schoolers trying to use the occult to engineer out of their lives, someone they dislike and resent is always, um, that one, that one hits a certain kind of way. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Well, yeah. so you're referring to a story called a diviner's abecedarian, which yes. is, basically a pack of middle school girls who use different means of divination mm-hmm. in order to, yeah, kind of torment this new girl in their class. And yeah, no, that is unfortunately 100% autobiographical. Uh, when I was in third grade, my family moved a town over, which, you know, it was a 10 minute drive from where I used to live, which seems like nothing, but it did mean that I had to change school districts. And I was the first new kid to come into this very tightly knit class uh, that had been together since kindergarten in a very, very, very small town. Mm -hmm. Um, And it did not go all too well for me. I was a little freak and the girls in the class didn't like that. Um, So basically, you know, I think that there's a real kind of fascinating and horrifying developmental stage, particularly with young girls, where their social understanding is developed enough and advanced enough that they know exactly how to fuck with somebody, but their (laughs) conscience is still not developed enough that they know for them to know that they shouldn't. Um, And it's this really uh, savory little morsel of a time period in in (laughs) the brain's development of just pure unadulterated horror. 
And so that's basically the root of the story. It, the story is even set in my town. The retreat meadows uh, where the girls really? all go ice skating is the skating rink in my town. Many of the little scenes in that story are from my middle school experience, going to the Chinese restaurant and playing suck and blow with the with the fortune cookie wrapper or, um, you know, the uh, oh, what was the yeah, all the girls going to get their belly buttons pierced. All of these are actual memories from middle school. Actually, there's one in which the girls press on each other's hearts in order mm-hmm. to tell the future. And that is directly taken from the girls for about two weeks decided that the new game at recess was to go back behind the dodgeball wall and press on each other's hearts until they passed out. What? <laughs> yeah. This so. Like- <laughs> What? (laughs) There's honestly, I mean, there's, again, it's a very subtle uh, volume knob turn on some of these stories where they seem absurd, but it's like, you don't have to change a lot with middle school school girls in order to turn it into a horror story. Oh my gosh. Wow. Right now, I think Patrick is uh, just being really happy that he didn't have a sister. Um. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm writing the mute because once again, Ronan is losing his mind downstairs. I mean, there's that as well, which I mean, there's Fair probably enough. there's probably yeah. a, a story from the perspective of Ronan about the sort of existential <laughs> horror of living with a well, podcaster. Yeah, no, but 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 uh, Jen Rose talks about coming into a school where there's a close knit group. You know, I, I went to parochial school and and so I was part of the close knit group and then we moved to California and then mm-hmm. when I joined a new parochial school, guess what? There was already the close-knit group of kids who had been together since kindergarten. So now mm-hmm. I'm the outsider. And then I switched schools again and again. You know, I'm at another school where it's the same thing. So it's always hard. And what I noticed, at least, which is a little bit different from what you're talking about, is that myself and other kids who just started that year became friends. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, I wish there were other kids who started that year. In my case, but but nay. <laughs> and 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 so you've got like you've got like the close knit group of kids who did torture everybody else, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, because they 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 had a shorthand that no one else had, and they they just right. knew each other and stuff. Uh, yeah. So I, I I definitely relate to that. But yeah, I never I never I never had the sister. To, to cause problems, but I like I know the middle school thing. <laughs> I, I know that. We yeah. all know the middle school thing. Yep. Yeah. But yeah, and a lot of the stories in the collection, that's the only one that is about children directly. Um, mm-hmm. Many of them are about like 20-somethings, though I guess it does range in age uh, kind of across the spectrum, but mm-hmm. a number of them are based on relationships that I've had in my life. Every story in the collection in some way focuses on yearning and yeah. kind of a yearning to be loved and to be able to love someone in return and all the various ways that that can kind of go awry. Um And yeah, like there's one story in the collection. It might even be the oldest one in the collection, uh, Foxjaw, which is I wrote about an ex of mine and I wrote it while we were still dating and I showed him the story and it really, it does not paint him in a favorable light. But I was like, you earned this. Take a good look. (laughs) And uh, then he went out and he got a large tattoo of a fox across his chest based on his portrayal in the story. So... (laughs) Yeah, guess it resonated. 
Oh, yeah. So there's yeah. there's a lot of me hidden in these. And honestly, that's kind of why I write in the mode of magical realism or like fairy tale reimaginings, the lexicon of folklore is because I have this like I'm able to fool myself into being like, no one will notice that it's all about <laughs> you. Look, it's just a whimsical little tale. But it's like very <laughs> fucking obvious that they're all about me. <laughs> like yeah. you don't even need to know me and my life to read them and be like, oh, this is clearly all about her. But well, I mean, going back to the whole where do you get your ideas from and be like, I was born. And, yes, uh, I was born. And I lived a life. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, but I also... I hope that they can be expansive in terms of a more universal experience. I do think that it's a breadth of stories that anyone who reads them will be able to find a mirror in them somewhere of yeah. their own experiences, um, which those that's my favorite way to write is something that I feel like, well, at least that's my favorite way to publish, you know, is like if I'm going right. to put something out into the world and not just keep it in my journal, I want it to be something that I think other people will genuinely connect with and get something out of. Um, so it has that duality of like, yes, I wrote these for me and from me, but I also they, they're at a point now where I think that other people would get something out of them, too. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. It, must, it sounds like, especially because of you mentioning earlier that writing Thistlefoot is like, ooh, plot yeah do you need one of those like things that happen that have consequences and stakes and so on um that in a lot of ways being able to kind of go back to things that you wrote before revisit them revise them add new stories to the mix was was mm -hmm. kind of almost like like the therapy that you needed to recover from noveling totally i mean yeah. I, so i wrote this book actually before i wrote thistlefoot yeah. um and it was done before I wrote mm -hmm. Thistlefoot. We sold them in a two-book deal uh, with the completed short story collection and then Thistlefoot basically on spec or like partially done. Mm -hmm. um, but they decided they wanted the novel to come out first and the stories to come out second, which I'm super glad about because it meant that I like kind of find, found my people with Thistlefoot mm -hmm. and now there'll be people to read the stories. And yeah, I, I did add one new story after Thistlefoot um, and I cut a couple that just mm -hmm. weren't as good. But I uh, I mean, for me, I'm so excited about this book coming out because short stories are my true love. Like, in a way, I wrote Thistlefoot um, for other people, sort of, and I wrote the stories for myself, um, which isn't to say I didn't deeply fall in love with Thistlefoot and am not incredibly proud of it. And if, it does feel very personal in its own ways. But all of my favorite writers are weird short fiction writers. My favorite favorites are like Kelly Link and Karen Russell and, uh, you know, Helen Oyeyemi and Angela Carter, Ray Bradbury. So I feel like this is my contribution into the literary legacy that I feel like has shaped me the most. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. And it, writing a novel is very hard <laughs> for me. I find it like pretty excruciating and mm -hmm. writing short stories I find pretty joyful. So it was, yeah, I'm just really excited for people to read them. I really love these stories. And I think that they are the closest thing that I've written to the things I most like to read, which yeah. is exciting. That is, that is super exciting. So now, I, Patrick, now if you were, if you were evil, if, if I was evil, evil. Uh, when the when the fox tattoo was revealed, 
you, you, you should have said, oh, I actually edited that story and the tattoo is different now. Could you change that? Yeah, or I should have been like, oh, you thought that was about you? No, that was about someone else. So I would, I would have been like, oh, I actually changed that to a butterfly on the back. Could you? Yeah. The story is called Walrus Tusk now. Um, I thought you should know. It's called, um, you know calligraphy tramp stamp (laughs) (laughs) that's amazing oh my god what were you gonna what were you gonna ask me tracy no i was gonna say between the two of us as writers i feel like um you are the more versatile one patrick because you've you've talked about having written short fiction before and you've also written novel novel fiction is so damn hard Yeah, I think, but the difference is like you still actually do it, and I stop at the "it's so damn hard" uh, <laughs> part of things, and so that's that's a critical difference, you know the 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 whining but then doing versus the whining and the the that was a real good wine I got out there. Um, <laughs> I mean, we all need to have one genre to whine about at least, or what are we even doing? Yeah, I I, I, I I would I would throw it out there that uh, the majority of my Facebook posts are short stories. I, I do think, yeah, that kind of micro bloggy sort of yeah. positioning of things. Yeah. But that's mm-hmm. it. Like, that's it. Like, it, it's just, it's so hard. I, I, I will start writing what I consider to be a short story. I'm like, I'm going to write the short story about this thing. And then 10,000 words later, I'm going, hmm, I don't think this is a short story anymore. <laughs> mm. For me, I think because I came from poetry, Short stories already feel quite expansive. And I think that, you know, I was trained as a poet. I was not trained as a fiction writer. And so what I'm most comfortable with is this process of taking some large abstract emotional truth or memory and kind of zip filing it down into this compressed form mm-hmm. um, so that it it is compressed on the page, but then it can expand again in the mind. And that's a, that's a translation that I'm very, very comfortable with and I've had a lot of practice in. And I think what's different with a novel and a, and a short story is, and a, poet, a poem as well, is with these shorter forms, you can kind of just come right out and say what you mean. You know, yeah. you can just be like, this is what this is about. I'm just going to say it. I'm going to be incredibly direct. With a novel, there has to be this, this narrative earning of that statement. Um, okay. Like a character has to naturally come to the point after much transformation and learning and trial and error in which they would uh, arrive at a certain conclusion or understanding. And only then can your reader arrive at that conclusion and understanding. And so mm-hmm. it, you just end up having to cram a lot more in to a novel. So I actually oddly find it harder to fit things into a novel than I find it to fit things into a short story or a poem, Um, even though a short story and a poem are so much shorter. But I feel like you need to pad your, not morals, but your, I guess your questions. You have to pad your questions less in a short story than you do in a novel. Yeah, yeah. One of the things that I do in in my day job is um, in the spring anyway. I teach a creative writing class, and uh, I have a sequence of things uh, that we do in the class. I start with short fiction because 
students, I think, feel comfortable with the idea of what is a story in air quotes. And then I switched to working because it's a survey. It's not meant to be like a deep dive into any particular modality. Um, and then we switched to, to poetry where some of them panic and some of them thrive. And, you know, it's, it is what it is. Um, and then after that point, we go to writing for the stage, you know, script writing and things. Cool, yeah. And the way I've tried to help them understand the distinction between writing short stories and the writing scripts is a little bit related to what you're talking about there. Like there's, you know, um, the metaphor that I've used to try and help them understand the distinction between how do we, how do you do things in prose versus how do you do things in poetry has weirdly been about like exercise. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm a big dumb dumb. I can't communicate anything without a metaphor. Like give me, I can't talk about my shopping list without it turning into a freaking metaphor. Um, but like, Writing prose is this kind of like aerobic activity. It's like it's like running for distance. It's, you know, you've got to kind of sustain an effort over a period of time. And poetry is like more anaerobic, right? It's like the explosive energy of a power lift. And hmm. so they are still athletic feats of a type or mental or creative feats of a type. But like how the energy works is just kind of different. And then when I talk to them about um, writing writing prose that is in the form of a short story or a novel or, or whatever versus doing something for the stage. I talk about it kind of like writing prose. It's a little bit try, trying to make a plane take off, right? It needs a runway that you need. You need to build up speed. You need to build up lift. You've got to generate the pressure on the wings and all of that, that, that allows you to sort of get up in the air. Um, and then you, you make your speed and then you there you are, you're at 30,000 feet, you're cruising, you're doing your deal. We don't really in the world of like stage writing, and I think to a certain extent also with poetry, right? You don't have the same amount of runway space, right? Mm -hmm. Because people are expecting an experience to kind of launch more immediately. Totally. You know, it's, it's, and so it's more of a helicopter type of thing. Like the helicopter, you've got to get those rotors moving, you go up, and then if the energy dies, if the rotors stop moving, you basically just have a brick with a funny hat that's going to just fall down on the ground now and everybody dies. But with with a plane, with a novel, you can kind of let the energy flag a little bit. You can have quieter points. You can have more action-packed points. If the engine, so to speak, stall, you don't immediately enter a tailspin and then hit the ground. You begin to lose altitude and sort of dip, but then you can come back again, right? Same kind of thing. And so I think a lot of it has to do with like, what's the creative energy, the mental energy, the plot energy, the emotional energy, the whatever energy that's, how do you pace it into the mm -hmm. text to kind of that's build those great things. analogy. I think that works so well. And yeah, and it's so much about like, what does your particular brain work best in when it comes to how you tend to expend energy? And like, yeah, for me, I've always been a like, I just want to jump in. I'm already there. I don't want to have to establish anything. I, I'm not interested in the runway or the, you know, the dips in the same way that I'm interested in just like, let's be there. L yeah. Let's see it happen. Um, and I also think that, you know, coming from poetry where economy of language and specificity of language is such a concern, I, it's, every single word I want to have weight. And there's this old kind of poetic analogy of like, if you pull any single word out of a poem and the whole poem doesn't collapse, then that word is superfluous. Kind of the Jenga model of writing poetry. Okay. Yeah. And I write prose in that same way where I am 
yeah, I, I labor over every single word. And so it's just a very different thing to do when you also have that space for dips to be yeah. to, or to have the instinct to labor over every word. Is. Do you think you make your copy editors nuts with that where they're like, I think I think you can do without this phrase. And you're like, stit. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I'm. I love. Uh, I. I honestly love line editing. I love copy editing. I find yeah. it so fun and satisfying. And you know, it's not to say that. I guess my first drafts are much cleaner than many first drafts are. In that mm -hmm. I've I edit in text immensely. So by the time my first draft, too. quote unquote, is done, it's like probably actually my like sixtieth draft. Um, but you know, then more edits get made. And there's always I, more edits that can be made until I'm forced to stop editing. I there goes the dog. When I was in a critique group, I used to get that compliment quite a bit. It's like, what draft is this first? Really? I mean, technically, it's the first. Mm -hmm. uh, but I edit as I go, and they're like, "Oh my god, this is so clean! How can this possibly be?" But at the same time, I'm I'm of the uh, the thought that if you know someone comes to me and says, "This is this is a good." story but you need to cut you know 2500 words out of this to make it a good short story i'd be like well why don't you just carve my heart out with a spoon that's gonna hurt more i do have a hard time with big structural edits more just because it's so hard to do you know yeah. if someone's like hey by the way this is great but can you completely cut out the main character and replace them with someone entirely different I'm no just big, like, right? oh, that's so much work. And I've already done so much work. But I love the line edits because you it, it's this tinkering feeling. It's almost more quantitative than uh, creative. And mm -hmm. after you've done the creative expenditure of writing an entire novel or story draft, like you're spent. And there's something really satisfying about doing that little like almost mathematical tightening and tinkering. And that, yeah, that to me feels very, very different than than being like, hey, let me rework this entire thing into something else. Yeah, yeah, that is. And it's just easier fair. to conceptualize too. It's not, you don't have to change anything. You're just, it doesn't destabilize the piece. Right, right. Writing's <laughs> hard and weird. Writing is super hard and weird. Uh, but as as our previous week's guest reminds us, we should be writing. Um, oh, so yeah. that's, that's something for us I to. I mean, I wouldn't have it any other way. <laughs> I would say I don't have any other skills, but I do a lot of little crafts. So <laughs> I oh, could always well, have a life as like a hedgehog in the forest wearing an acorn as a hat. Oh, yeah. And then, you know, people would come to you and say, can you turn this thimble into a wash basin for me? And I would you know, say, oh, Madam uh, yes, <laughs> children, please bring it this way. And then I would take out my like quilting supplies and be like, just cuddle under this and have a cup of tea while you wait. Um, yeah, so that's my my fallback plan if my career tanks. Okay, yeah. And I'm honestly fine. not, to, you know, I'm actually not that far off from it. Like, I already live in Vermont in the woods, and I spend my free time, like, drawing little wax patterns on eggshells from the farmer's market. You just really need to find a hedge witch to curse, curse you into being a hedgehog, and then you're I really much... just need the little hat. Yeah, yeah. You're just, you're. You'll be there. Acorn be, with a hat or for a hat, big acorn. Is, do they make any, do they make, does does nature make any uh, large enough acorns that I could wear one of their I caps as a hat? I think so, but I am not, I mean, I, I botany, not really my strong suit, so I'm not prepared to stand by that. So, 
Well, if there's any acorn experts out there who uh, know where I can get hooked up with a real nice little hat. uh, Like sombrero sized kind of? I was thinking more like a beret. Oh, yeah. Or like, you know, like a Dickensian newsboy cap. Like I want to wear an acorn, but then also say like, top of the morning to you, governor. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that would do well by me. Well, while we're busy, you know, imagining our sort of uh, arboreal sartorial perfections and things here, probably we should do some picks of the week. Can we just pause on the fact that you said arboreal sartorial? I just, I, I'm so glad that you're there with me for yeah. that. Like, like, cue that music again. <laughs> picks of the week. All right. So, Patrick. How about you? What's what's feeling good? I just want to say that Ronan has been barking this entire time. That's why I've been so quiet. Like he, and here he comes. He's just been losing his mind. Just oh, losing his mind because there's our pick of the week is Ronan's mind. Yeah, (laughs) good job. My pick this week, uh, as we close out the year, is I am picking the functional nerds patrons. Wow. That's a good one. They're my <laughs> pick because, and you don't know this yet, Jenna Rose, but I'm going to explain this. They apparently snuck around and got a video, a cameo video of Alan, I am a leaf on the wind, Tudyk, wishing me a happy birthday. <laughs> oh, when was your birthday? Yes. Uh, it was in October, but they, they just gave it to me like a, like a few days ago as of this recording. My and, birthday's uh, also in October. I don't know. Alan I don't know. Closed for cameos in October, so it was. Yeah, I see. So, so Tracy was involved as well. Uh, <laughs> if you don't know Alan, he, I first became aware of him in a movie called Death at a Funeral. Oh, I know Alan. And <laughs> I mean, not personally. Uh, the British version is better than the American version, and he plays the boyfriend in that who gets. Something happens to him and he ends up getting stoned and just he's hilarious in that movie. He's absolutely fucking hilarious. And then, of course, he was in Firefly and Serenity and Resident Aliens, another good one that he's in. <laughs> and he's he's several voices in DC's Harley Quinn. Tucker and, and Dale versus evil. He's Tucker, yeah, high Tucker cinema. versus yeah. evil. And uh, so I talk about him quite a bit, especially with the, the Harley Quinn stuff, because I love his over the top clay face, you know. And so they did this video for me. And he does Clayface and he does a lot of different voices and stuff. And it's hilarious. It was, it's a great video. And uh, so I just want to, you know, I'm picking the patrons and thanking them because I thought that was really nice. And again, Tracy, I don't know how involved you were with that. If they came to you, you went to them. I don't know how that worked, but I thought that was pretty awesome. I was, I was approached by the masterminds of the scheme uh, and, and lent my services where, where able. So, it was awesome. Yeah. So I'm picking them. They're my oh, yeah, pick That this is week. so sweet. Yeah, they're good peoples. We like our patrons. I mean, one one would hope that we would like our patrons, but yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Jenna Rose, how about you? Ooh, okay. So I have two that are sort of tonally similar um, and actually kind of segues well coming off of my like little Dickensian newsboy energy that I was chucking at y'all <laughs> just a minute ago. Um, I'm reading a YA book right now. Came out a number of years ago, but it's called A Gentleman's Guide to Vice and Virtue. And oh. it is so much fun. It is about a... Um, a uh, young, like a teenage boy, probably like 18-ish, 
uh, in he's an upper class, like a British nobleman in the Victorian era. And he is about to go on his grand European tour. Uh, and his best friend, Percy, is also coming with him on his grand European tour. But uh, this protagonist, our narrator, Monty, is, of course, secretly in love with his best friend, Percy. And so it's this, like, European grand tour romp, like, Victorian-era romp slash, like, love story between these two British boys. And it's, like, based on classic adventure novels in its form. So, and, and the writing is just very, very clever, um, the dialogue is hilarious. Like it's so well done. Um, so it's just been one of those books that I've been reading and filled with absolute abject delight. Um, I'm looking up the author right now cause it has slipped right out of my own brain, but, um, yeah, it's called a gentleman's guide to vice and virtue. And it is by Mackenzie Lee. Nice. Um, so yeah, that's number one. And then number two, which has a similar tone, I would say, is I've been watching the new, I think it's on Hulu. Yeah, the new Hulu show, The Artful Dodger, oh, which okay. is <laughs> so goofy and so fun. It takes place 13 years after the conclusion of Oliver Twist. And The Artful Dodger is a grown ass man now. And he's hot. <laughs> um, he's he's played by oh, the kid from Love Actually. Um, okay. You know, the little kid who plays the drums. He has the red hair. He was also in The Queen's Gambit. Mm -hmm. um, he still kind of looks like a child, but like in a way you kind of want to fuck. It's a <laughs> he's he's 33 years old. It's an acceptable. OK. Yeah. OK. Yeah. That's, yeah. Yeah. These are these are legal. Feelings. He has boyish yeah. charm, I would say. Um, I so he plays the Artful Dodger. And he uses those pickpockety hands to be a surgeon now in Australia. And then Fagin shows up and threatens trouble. Um, and meanwhile, there's a young woman who's the governor's daughter who wants to be the first woman practicing medicine in Australia. And so a lot of the show, the show is basically two things. It is the artful dodger and his little hats and his little suspenders um, getting up at, to like mischief with Fagin. That's half of it. And then the other half is like, intense sexual tension between him and the governor's daughter as they like stand very close together and their hands graze and like the music swells but they also <laughs> just so happen to be like cutting open a corpse together to check for rot um as so that like and they're also like wearing a little vest so that uh has been really hitting the spot for me <laughs> lately <laughs> it's, it's like it was made just for me in a way mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. And I think it's a miniseries. I believe it's just the one season and then I'll be free. But um, yeah, if you're in the mood for some good like Dickensian scamp energy, which is which I always am, um, those two are are really doing it. Nice. Nice. Yep. Nice. <laughs> Oi. <laughs> so um, I am a big fan of breaking up parts of my day with like little mini games of various types. I, I have a New York Times subscription, so I do things like their, their wordle puzzles and connections and things like that. But if you're interested in something that has a similar kind of daily puzzle energy, but is maybe a little bit, uh, I don't know, spicier, um, I would strongly suggest you check out Myrtle. Um, Myrtle is what you might expect from it being, you know, named that. It's the How sort of Myrtle... Uh, M-U-R-D-L-E. It's specifically Myrtle.com. So if you've ever said to yourself, wow, I sure dig 
daily puzzles that involve using logic that don't take more than a couple of minutes to do. But you know what? I don't want to just do arbitrary word games for the sake of arbitrary word games. I like stories that involve death and destruction, then Myrtle is kind of for you. Uh, it's a site that's created by G.T. Carber, uh, and it had, features daily puzzles where, guess what? A recurring character um, who is our investigator keeps encountering people who done got killed. Uh, and there are there's conditions that you're given that allow you to deduce uh you know, how how they were killed and where and so on. It's got a little bit of a clue vibe in that you're supposed to identify the who, how, where, and why of each murder. You're given some witness statements, basic information. So-and-so was in this room, but they were not next to this person and so on. Um, and you can interact with the elements of the website's murder of the day page to kind of help you keep track of things. There's like a notebook function where you can you can jot some things down and return later to continue your work. Um, and if it interests you and you want to make a regular habit of it, then you can just toss an email address at their subscription list and for free, you know, play a different murder a day. And if you're like, that sounds fine and everything, but I don't want to give anybody my email, you can also have the Myrtle experience in a physical book. Uh, so Myrtle is also a series of books that are split into different volumes. Each one is like a murder a day sort of framework uh, where they've got like two pages of information and a way to take notes and to figure out who done it. Um, and so whether you want to be sort of, you know, messing around on your laptop or cozied up with a book and a pencil, there are ways for you to get a little bit of, of puzzly murder shenanigans in on the daily. So check out Myrtle by G.T. Carver. Very cool. That sounds great. I am I am just spent with silly joy and imagining you with an acorn hat, Jenna Rose. Um, so it's honestly just generally improved my day here. And if people want to continue to generally improve their day through through vibes and, and horror, but also cozy, but also horror and and so on, how should they find you, find your work, and generally make their, their life more Jenna Rosy? Ooh, Jenna Rosie. Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, so I can be found in a number of different places. One of those places is uh, my Instagram account, which of all the social media offerings is the one that I'm the most active on. Uh, that account is underscore Jenna Rose underscore. So it's underscore G-E-N-N-A-R-O-S-E underscore. Um, and then you can also check out my website, www.jennarosenethercott.com, which has info about all of my different projects, info about any touring that I have coming up. I will be touring for 50 Beasts. It is worth noting. It comes out on February 6th, just in time to ruin your heart for Valentine's Day. And I'm going to be doing a bit of an East Coast tour. I'm calling it the 50 Beasts to Break Your Heart Whistle Stop Tour because I'm taking a train down the East Coast from stop to stop. So those dates will be going live soon they haven't been announced just yet but um yeah uh so you could meet me in person you could go to my website check out my various offerings and 50 beasts to break your heart is available for pre-order right now you can buy it with human money bona fide mm -hmm. currency yes. um and if you pre-order it from your local bookstore which I would recommend over the dreaded uh, Jeff Bezos empire, then you can have a copy of the book waiting for you on the very day that it comes out. So what's not to love? Yeah. What is not to love? 
Thanks. Well, it's been really awesome having you back, Jenna Rose. It's fun as always. Oh, yes. Thank you for having me. Mr. Carpiers. You got it right. How about that? Yeah. You can call me Cannoli Joe. If you've if you've never listened to the podcast, there there's there's two different styles here. There's there's Tracy who does prep work and comes up with some very thoughtful questions, and then oh squirrel! Oh, for God's sake, Patrick Louise! <laughs> Are you okay with me recording you today for the purposes of this podcast? <laughs> okay, that's probably a good enough signal. <laughs> when someone comes up to me and says, "Hey, I really love what you do," I'm like. I'm sorry. Do you know who I like? I think you have me confused with someone else. The whiz bang and the gosh wow and the sense of wonder stuff. My favorite thing about time travel is I actually had a time travel joke for you guys, but you didn't like it. I'm so excited. <laughs>